just having those unfortunate encounters really led me to the question of, okay, what can I do about this? How can I solve this problem? I know I'm not the only one. There are others that are like me and we all should have an obligation to help each other to alleviate the discriminatory burdens that we face. Hi, this is Kutsianaki, and welcome to another episode of Down to the Struts, the podcast about disability, design, and intersectionality. Today, we'll listen in on my conversation with Lou Panicholi. Lou is an Asian Pacific American Institute for Congressional Studies Fellow, Secretary of the Young Democrats of America Disability Issues Caucus, and Vice Chair of the New York Young Democrats Disability Issues Caucus. Like Precious Perez in episode one, Lou is a youth activist dedicated to advocating for the rights of disabled people. We talked about his journey to political activism as his chosen tool to affect social change and the role models that have guided him along that path. Okay, let's get down to it. Thank you, Lou, for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really delighted to have you. My pleasure. So I wanted to start off by asking you to share a little bit about yourself. And uh, you are a young activist in the disability justice movement. And I'd love to hear more about your story and you know, what about your background and your childhood made you interested in activism from a very young age? All right. So for me, it was always my life has never been like a straight, a straight line, so to speak. When I was born, you know, I was born, you know, kind of premature. So at the beginning, it was a fight, you know, just from the beginning. So that kind of grew in me, so to speak. It kind of manifested itself. And then I was when I was going through, you know, the medical system to get all of this stuff. And when I was going through, I don't know, the education system, it was my mother who was my biggest advocate. So I learned how to advocate for myself and for others from watching her, my own parent became that role model that I needed to do my advocacy. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have been as successful advocate as I am today. So God bless her. I mean, she's still here, but you know, she's, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So, and as far as my activism, I have encountered, you know, ableism, whether it be in the world of trying to get, you know, work or in the education system or, a, a lot of varieties. If if I could tell you how much times I encountered ableism, it would take take need to take at least two episodes. But <laughs> just having those unfortunate encounters really led me to the question of, okay, what can I do about this? How can I solve this problem? I know I'm not the only one. There are others that are like me and some that are not like me, but we're all going through the same thing. And we all should have an obligation to help each other to alleviate the discriminatory burdens that we face. It came from a combination of advocacy and and moral, you know, that combination that when you asked me that, I needed to actually think, why did I get into it? But now I figured it out. I felt I had a moral obligation to help other people like myself, not to be some kind of like savior, but just to do my part in helping others, the alleviation of ableism and just discriminatory 
practices and behaviors against people with disabilities will be my reward when we no longer have to deal with any ableism in our society, which is obviously going to be for a long time after either of us are still here, but mm-hmm. you know, at least we played our parts. Yeah. We're, are, are there particular experiences that you had that you can look back on that really triggered that for you, that where you were put in a position where you had to advocate for yourself or for someone else that you can remember? A lot, up? a lot. I mean, there were incidents, you know, when I was a little little boy in the hospital but those you know my mom being my advocate obviously you know when you're a little kid you really can't advocate but as I got older you know in the education system I remember this one particular incident when I had a professor in a science class who wouldn't allow me to use my recorder to take notes and he had dismissed my note taker and stuff so I had to really get on him and he was just not the nicest person So, but I was able to really advocate for myself. And in the end, he ended up giving me what I wanted because he was forced to, but I just didn't like his, the way he was going about it. Like if he was being, you know, one of those. So I just ended up, you know, I didn't end up having astronomy for the rest of the winter, (laughs) but you know, it, it's ignorant individuals like that, that make people you know, want to advocate because we should not have to encounter that level of ignorance in our lives, you know, from others, because we all have something to deal with at the end of the day. The least we can do is treat each other with love. That's so true. So you mentioned education as you were kind of growing into your activism and advocacy and, and, you know, the sort of sense of responsibility you described to to help yourself and to help others. What were some of the issues you started gravitating towards and how did you put your activism kind of into action as you became a young adult? I actually gravitated towards the relation between disability and, you know, disability, race, gender, just different groups, but all the concept of intersectionality and diversity because we usually identify, you know, I'm this or I'm that, or I'm only this or I'm only that. But at the end of the day, we are more than one person. I'm more than just a person with a disability. I am a man. I am biracial. I am, I don't know, left-handed or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know. So there are more aspects of our identity. And we need to combine those aspects to really get an intersectional alliance when doing our advocacy and our activism because the stronger we are the more united we are the more effective we be. how did you first get involved in politics i first got involved in politics when i walked into a this sounds like a running joke i, I walked into uh, i actually googled about a political organization on staten island and i was like okay you know i don't know anyone what can i do so I found this organization called the Young Democrats of Richmond County. I'm now the secretary of that. I didn't know, I was like, what's, what's this club? What's this uh, restaurant? So I walked into the restaurant and I was like, okay, uh, hello, my name is so-and-so. And I was like, and you know, they told me who they were at that time. I just started majoring in political science, ironically. So it just went hand in hand and that spark underneath me just lit start doing really political activism. But as far as the disability rights portion, AAPD, which is the American Association of People with Disabilities, I wanted to find a internship opportunity that highlighted the disability community 
and politics that really correlated. And when I saw that, I was like, yes, yes, I finally have this. And then, you know, Corona, so there's that. But the uh, aspect of just having to be within a community that correlates my passion for politics, my love of social justice, and the community that I've been a lifelong part about and will be that way until like, I don't know, I'm like a hundred or whatever. I don't know. What what can you tell us more about some of the work you did when you were with AAPD that really had an impact on you? Absolutely. I did a both a policy memo and a group project about the barriers to employment or the lack of. In my particular case in New York, we most agencies or organizations, they will receive, you know, money to, you know, to help people with disabilities get jobs. But they will restrict those to four industries, which are maintenance, retail, culinary, and, you know, janitors, which are not bad professions. Don't get me wrong, but what if you don't want to work any of those? You know, it's almost like you're being forced into something. You know what I'm saying? They're not giving you a choice. And even if you would like to work in one of those professions, they uh, they don't have a room for a ladder for advancement. So they're going to stick you out of entry-level jobs is the right just when the the funding season comes around that they're doing their job, that's not fair to do to the population that they are servicing. And that's uh, a big thing in New York. I hope, you know, that it has changed for the better, but that was a, a uh, policy memo that I did. The elected official whom I presented it to at the moment had liked it, but I don't know what what became of it once it entered the New York State Legislature. I also did a project that was very important to me. That's the Social Security income reform. Most people who are on SSI, myself will include it, I'm trying to get off of it at the moment. They will restrict you to, I don't know, $800 a month, which we obviously both know you cannot live off of $800 a month. It is not feasible. It is not humanly possible. And anything that counts against you, it's almost like they're forcing you to sacrifice your quality of your life for the quantity of your life. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't be that way. People with disabilities should not have to live below the poverty line or at the poverty line. We should have the same economic playing field as every single group that is out there, regardless of whether they have or don't have disability, we we should all have an equal opportunity to succeed. And what are some of the policy solutions that you proposed in your in your research around SSI? I I actually proposed a lot. I proposed uh, increasing the which has been a lot increasing the stuff like make it like don't make it eight hundred make it I don't know like twenty thousand dollars a year or something you know just I'm not talking to make people with disabilities billionaires although that would be awesome and I would definitely prove <laughs> but you know just give us something that is livable give us something where we can economically sustain ourselves maintain a good solid beautiful quality of life and advance that's all that we ask for that's all that we've ever asked for and it should not be ludicrous when we ask for more it shouldn't be ludicrous to a, another individual when we ask for more and they're looking at us like we have three heads that why aren't we happy with what we're getting because what we're getting is not obviously what we want in the first place yeah and often with these benefits you're penalized if you seek employment and if you earn Absolutely. over a certain amount then your benefits are cut off but the truth is you kind of you need both and you should be able to have access to both employment gainful employment and additional support 
Absolutely. And then there's that lack of access and that termination of the benefits that we need to sustain ourselves. And I know a lot of other people need medical benefits as well. So you're now you do now you got to add a burden on top of another burden because you're forcing now the person to choose between the money that they need to live and advancing the quality of their life. So, you know, what are they, what are they doing? You know what I'm saying? What is the people who are in charge doing? And I don't care what political affiliation you, that you're a part of, you know, we all need to, every person with a disability, you know, we need to help out the disability community. Absolutely. What have been some of your greatest influences as you have advanced in your, in your activism and your advocacy work? One of my, some of my greatest influences, I've always been a history buff. So my greatest influences have been the classic people like Gandhi, like MLK, like Bayard Rustin, like John Lewis. And those people really exemplified, you know, what we can do through the power of love and through the power of unity. If we set aside our differences and come together as one, along with, you know, then you get the classic MLK of the disability community, Judy Human, and but then you have the other uh, activists that are not really exemplified, such as uh, an individual whom I was introduced to while I was in, a few individuals whom I would introduce to whom I would like to share, one of those individuals was my mentor, just my mentor at the time, Justice Shorter. So uh, from NDRN, National Disability Rights Network, I don't know if you had the opportunity to speak with her. Oh, I know Justice very well. Justice was on the podcast um, previously. Yeah. She's a friend of the pod. Um, so yeah, yeah. mad so love to you, Justice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, Justice mm -hmm. really, um, uh, really helped me establish those connections that I need to continue and grow my work and activism. So shout out to her. And she really opened my eyes to a lot of other dimensions of disability rights, because I only knew disability rights just as being the ADA and, you know, mm -hmm. that main struggle. I didn't know what as how it was comp so complex it really got, like disability and race, disability and gender, disability and sexuality. You know, I only knew it through that ADA thing. And I shouldn't be calling it an ADA thing because that <laughs> that is the very thing that gives me rights. <laughs> American Disabilities Act. So that's the only way I knew it. And through that, she was able to connect me with another individual by the name of Zan, Zan Thornton from Georgia Adapt. And when I connected with Zan and her colleague, Butch, they really took me under their wing of activism and advocacy. And they still do. They still do. I still collaborate with them from time to time. So when I started with them, it was really starting how to do what? How do I get people? How do I reach out? How do I organize? How do when they really showed me the ropes? And I got a chance to demonstrate that during the 2020 election because I played a role in compiling a list of different disability organizations throughout the state of Georgia. So I provided the contact, the network that was needed to do the outreach, the electoral outreach for both the 2020 elections and the 2020 Georgia Senate runoffs. So I played an indirect role in electing the president and vice president of the United States through my work in disabilities rights. So it's one of my proudest accomplishments, even though I'm kind of a small fish in a big pond, but just being a part of that is rewarding in and of itself. And it just goes to show you every, every little bit is important and we all have different roles 
roles to play, whether that's compiling a contact list or whatever it may be. And, and it's, it's important to, important to engage. Um, and the active engagement is, is sometimes even the most. Absolutely. Important. The amount of phone calls I had to make the disability, <laughs> different disability rights activists and amount of emails I had to shoot over and, and they would be like, who is this? And I, then I would have to give them a little spiel. Hey, I'm working with so-and-so from there. And then I would have to, you know, convince them and convince a lot of other people, you know, to get on board, to be all be on the same page. So it was a lot of active listening, a lot of public speaking and a lot of persuasion. You know, you talked a little bit about your your biracial background, and I wondered how both the your disability identity and your identity as someone who is biracial. You mentioned earlier uh, when we were speaking that you're um, half Italian, half Trinidadian. How have yeah. those two identities kind of come together and informed how you approach uh, politics and activism? I I approach it from a progressive and well-being lens. My dad's side, not so much. I see them when I see them. I still love them, but you know, but my mom's side, the Trinidadian side, I always like to say it was women who made me the man I am today. It was my mother and her sisters who instilled in me the characteristics and the morals and the values that I hold dear and that compose who I am to this day. So going to my mom's country, this really opens up your eyes. Having had my own experiences, Look at what my aunts are going through. Look at what my cousins are going through. Look at what Trinidad itself is going through. You know, it's crazy. And here we are, the richest country in the world, biggest military. And yet, look at all the stuff we're still going through because we can't get it straight. Being half Italian, half Trinidad, and allowed me to see both sides, my father's side and my mother's side. If I wasn't have the mixture that I had, I wouldn't be able to see it from both a white side and the brown side, I'd only be able to see it from one side. So having that diversity has been crucial to why I'm able to look at disability rights and other issues the way I do, see it from both sides of the coin, not just one or the other. So Lou, what advice would you have for young disabled people and their allies who want to be change agents? The advice I have for young disabled people and their allies who want to be change agents agents is follow your passion, pursue your passion and pursue that passion relentlessly. Pursue it relentlessly. Don't let anyone tell you whether it be, I don't know, your friend or significant other, your parents or whomever tell you that you cannot do something because of so and so and so. Believe within your heart and soul that you can do it and go for it. Thank you for that. Can you offer some ideas of how our listeners can take action and get involved in the movements for disability rights and disability justice from your perspective? Absolutely. I would definitely recommend uh, some of the organizations that I've worked with. Georgia ADAPT being one of them. The American Association of People, of People with Disabilities has a wonderful, amazing internship program where they take you to Washington for 10 weeks and they give you different placements and different aspects of politics based upon your interests. So I would definitely look at those two sources along with other disability rights organizations as well. So I would start there and I would also go through just, you know, your local political clubs as well, if you're interested in the political aspects. And just start, you know, simple by volunteering, by helping people, just 
by putting yourself out there and really having a just having that determination to succeed. Thank you so much, Lou. And it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. I wish you all the best in everything that you do. And uh, I'm just really grateful to know you. So thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Down to the Struts. This podcast would not be possible without the energy and creativity of our audio producer, Alana Nevins, and our social media manager, Avery Annapole. Special thanks to Claire Shanley for designing our logo and to Eiffel Gangsta Beats for our theme music. You can become part of our Facebook group, Down to the Struts Podcast, to join our growing community. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Down to the Struts. And finally, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you love to listen. Thank you again for your support and stay tuned for our next episode so we can get back down to it. Thank you.